Welcome to the Primal Endurance Podcast. Slow down and enjoy the show, where we rap, literally, about everything you need to know. I'm your host, Brad Kearns. Are you ready? Let's go. Dude Spillings, coming back, bringing some more heat, and I cannot wait to get into this fun new stuff. And listeners, beware. This is not going to be all about heart rates and lactate thresholds. We are going to go into deep into life improvement and philosophical insights. I like it, bringing the heat after the cold, right? So, uh, so yeah, I, I'm excited to tell you about this uh, uh, personal development retreat I went on where we talked a lot about this, um, all of this uh, sort of um, emotional healing and inner child work and, um, you know, personal development, trying to get uh, self-improvement. You know, it's not all about just the, uh, how far can you run and how much can you bench press? Tell me more about the retreat. I, I mean, uh, there's people probably listening that are on the sidelines or ambivalent, uh, f- fearful of uh, exploring. Uh, but it seems to me everyone I talk to that returns from something like this has a positive experience. And I can reference back to when I was uh, much younger and did uh, the sequence of weekend retreats that uh, many people are familiar with. These popular companies have done them uh, for years around the country. And uh, you just go deep into uh, self-exploration and also how you relate to others in the world. And I, I love the um, facilitators, in my case anyway, I don't know about you, but you know they would call people out on their bullshit and it oh, yeah. was fun and entertainment. And the guy would stand up uh, with, his, with his hands on his hips and a scowl on his face. And the, 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 the facilitator would say, uh, so, so right now you're being defiant and everyone in the room's nodding their head. And he's like, I am not being defiant. What are you talking about? You know, and everyone starts cracking up like you just did. And the guy's standing there like, what the, what the F are you guys laughing at? And then, oh, we're laughing, laughing, laughing. And then it's your turn. And, yep. you know, mine comes across differently. I'm not a badass guy staring down some, some poor facilitator who's trying his hardest to help me, but I will make my, uh, my, uh, my, my side quips and he'll identify me as, uh, as an aloof. And I, I deal with stress and conflict by, uh, you know, distancing myself. And then, you know, you go home and you think about that overnight and then they hit it with you hard the next day. And, oh boy, what kind of fun. So tell me about the fun you had up there and, uh, in the mountains of California. Yeah, I was in uh, Idlewild, a um, little bit east of San Diego. And uh, so instead of being a, a multiple weekends, this was five days in a row. So, um, you know, really, really nowhere to hide. Um, you can't, you know, s- save it for the next weekend and hope everybody forgets. But uh, uh, the name of the retreat is called Training Camp for the Soul. And I found out about it at Paleo FX this year. They had a booth there. And what really struck me about it and made me interested is that um, the uh, Anat, the um, creator, has really kind of um, gathered all of the newest information about um, limiting beliefs and figured out how to help people get past those limiting beliefs. And a big part of her theory is Bruce Lipton. Um, in his book, Biology Belief, which we've 
mentioned a few times now, uh, he makes the statement that, uh, you know, when you're born, you're like a, uh, empty iPad and, uh, you got to put programs in there to make it run. Right. And all the programs get loaded between ages zero and seven. And you're, when you're at that age range, you're in this, uh, super learning state where your brain is in, uh, theta most of the time where you're just downloading everything about how the world works, right? You're watching your parents interact. You're watching your siblings interact. You're um, seeing how people interact with you. You're listening to what people are telling you. And this is the time period when all of your subconscious programming uh, gets set. And so what the retreat is about is um, uncovering, and identifying what was going on with you and between ages zero and seven so that you can identify your limiting beliefs. And then uh, using some strategies similar to EMDR to uh, get rid of those old beliefs and replace them with beliefs that better serve you. And so the retreat was uh, five days in the mountains, 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. every day, 30 minutes for meals, uh, lots and lots of journaling, uh, emotional work. She has some techniques that uh, help you get in touch with the emotions that uh were strongest for you in your childhood. And um, then from there, you kind of, it, it, she has a process that leads you to figure out what those beliefs are. And um, kind of like you were describing, every person kind of goes in front of the group and goes through this process. And, and, uh, you know, yeah, it's humbling. It's, uh, um, uh, exciting. It's, uh, um, you know, amazing in a way because you're learning all of this stuff about yourself that you didn't know. And it's like, you know, how can you be 49 years old and not know these important things about yourself? But that's just kind of how the human condition is. And, and the retreat is sort of designed to help you, um, overcome the human condition to a degree. Yeah. It's so strange, uh, thinking back on, you know, the, the, our, our decades of adult life and how little we covered arguably the most important topics of life in the schooling system. You know, there oh, were yeah. no classes on, um, there were no classes on, uh, uh, substance abuse, divorce, uh, uh, child rearing child parent conflict uh you know loneliness and alienation uh uh d discouraging uh uh you know career paths and and all the rest we just were forced to figure out all these things that are vastly more important probably to our personal growth and our uh, ultimate contribution to the planet than learning uh our, our competency in engineering or our core field of study and it seems like there's there's probably room all along for all of us to pay a little more attention to these these big picture items rather than 
repeatedly crash and burn and make the same mistakes or put blinders on and just put in a lot of running miles every week instead of uh, head to, you know, an hour of uh, journaling uh, in daily life. Oh, yeah. And, you know, all of those topics that you mentioned should be taught in school or are excellent. And they, they should. I mean, all of it is personal finance, relationships, all of that is super important. Uh, and, and we're not taught it. But the work that we're doing at the retreat actually goes uh, at least one layer, probably a couple layers deeper than that. And, you know, what she's trying to teach people to do is how to be authentic, how to live from knowing what your heart wants instead of what your intellect is telling you all the time, not letting your intellect run the show the whole time. Uh, setting boundaries with people so that you can maintain your own identity and your own um, autonomy. Uh, uh, Being true to yourself, um, uh, expressing your emotions appropriately, like all of these like really basic things that people (laughs) take for granted that they know, but once you really kind of start looking at the at the nitty gritty, most people aren't that mindful. <laughs> well, like um, Lipton says, ninety five to ninety nine percent of the time we're we're being in uh, uh, automated subconscious programming. Yep, and um, I I can I can relate to that. It's really uh, it, it's a heavy insight to think um, just how how little we're in control of our. Our, our actions and emotions until uh, something, you know, uh, you know, slaps us in the face and you're, you're on the road talking and then uh, you have a near miss for a car accident and all of a sudden you're a much more attentive driver for the ensuing minutes. Yep. Uh, but I'm, I'm curious, you know, when it comes to uh, being authentic and being your true self and expressing yourself and there's that fine line where, uh, you know, I've, I've um, uh, tended to, be way on the other side of the line, which is to avoid conflict, uh, maybe not be authentic uh, uh, more frequently than than optimal, just to avoid getting into it and avoid uh, arousing negative emotions or a negative emotional interaction with another person, even let's say people uh, close to me and important to me. And I think, you know, sometimes that's a disaster. And then other times I'm curious, like, do, you know, do you do you go around all day long, uh, just, just, uh, you know, expressing yourself and every little, uh, perceived slight or, um, or, or whatever. I mean, where's that fine line that we can, uh, balance on and be that authentic person who's also, um, not a pain in the butt to be around. Wow. That's, that's a more advanced question than, than I'm. That's the level two course. That's <laughs> six days nonstop from 7am to 11pm. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but I mean, from my limited perspective, I think that, uh, you know, the sort of the, the general issue that you're alluding to there is, um, setting boundaries. Right. And so, you know, you're right. Like if you're just, you know, at work or interacting with somebody at Starbucks in the line or, you know, whatever it, it might be, uh, you know, for me, I want to set a boundary that I'm not taking on that person's junk, right? Like, 
you, if you've got, you know, some the drama in your life that I don't need to know about, I'm going to set a boundary there and tell you, you know, that's your stuff. I don't, you know, I've got my own stuff to worry about. Sorry, whatever you're doing. Uh, and it doesn't mean that you have to be a, a jerk and, and well, yeah, that's, say that's, that, that kind of stuff to people. But I no, just but have a nice can, day is what you're saying. Yeah. Instead of, instead of getting into it, um, or my, my friend Don, who's a great example of a guy who would speak his mind at every juncture, and most people thought he was a, a jerk. He's, he's gone now, but he leaves me with some incredible lasting memories of just being uh, you know, as uh, authentic as you can possibly imagine and doing a lot of great things with that. But he was working hard to regulate his behavior at times so he wouldn't get into uh, you know, assorted fights over the course of a week. And so he um, made the... Um, the comment that if you get cut off in traffic, you can flip somebody off five times in a row, which is I'm waving my hand now. And, <laughs> um, you know, that's one way to deal with a traffic altercation because you don't, all you see is the tip of the iceberg with everybody else around you. You don't know if that person's on their way back from the hospital, uh, with their, uh, you know, visiting their, uh, their child fighting cancer, who knows what. So let them cut you off and, you know, tone down that reactive subconscious programming and maybe, uh, you know, connect further with people who are struggling rather than uh, get into it with them, which is how it usually happens in uh, everyday life where we're just, you know, on edge a little bit and, you know, no, nothing but nothing but more trouble comes out of it. Yeah, totally. And, you know, if you can, uh, well, I want to address the other situation you mentioned, which is like being authentic with your family and close friends that are in your life a lot, right? I mean, that's essential, right? So, uh, you, you still want to set boundaries there, but, um, you know, you also have to, um, balance living your truth with, um, you know, being in love or, uh, loving your family members. And, um, you know, one of the things that Anat says at the retreat a lot is you can, you can be in love or you can be right. Oh. <laughs> right. Absolutely. And, uh, you, you know, we've talked about, uh, John Gray's insights offline a lot recently because that, uh, life-changing show for me anyway, when I had him on the get over yourself podcast and some of the insights he gave to the male species, uh, is worth thinking about. And, he he said, you know, your your deepest deepest biological drive is to be the protector and the hero in the story, uh, particularly to your romantic partner. You want to save the day for her and 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 say, I got this. Don't worry, I'll I'll take care of you and all these great things. Uh, and so, um, you know, the biggest danger of modern times is not the saber toothed tiger coming in and and eating your loved ones. Uh, John Gray said the, the the biggest danger to the female in modern life is your own anger, mofo. And so you have to protect her from your own anger and emotional instability and reactive behavior. And so his directive to all males was to do not speak, do not open your mouth if you have a negative emotional charge, if you're experiencing that negativity or that, uh, you know, wussy boy temper mentality. And to think back over all the times where 
you know, we've also been encouraged in our lifetime to be more open and more vulnerable and share your feelings and be honest and don't just be a standoffish partner. But what Gray's nuance there is that, you know, you never have to bring that crap into uh, a loving home. And instead, there's ways to speak your truth and, and live your truth by, for example, saying everything you got to say with loving kindness at the right time. And I'm learning, uh, you know, over the course of my life that the right time is right there on the spot when mm-hmm. the, uh, the issue or the, uh, you know, the statement occurs in the course of conversation and you say, whoa, I'm, uh, that, uh, that makes me feel a little funny right now. Let me, let me tell you, um, you know, tell me what you meant by that. Cause I, I feel like, uh, this and this and this. And, you know, in a, in a calm, level-headed uh, state of mind, not the next morning when you throw shit back in, uh, in the other person's direction with that leverage and that narcissism that allows you to bring up things from the past and, and stick uh, a knife into people's ribs uh, way later. But mm-hmm. to, to be that, uh, that mindful of a, of a male species where you're, you're honoring your deepest biological drive to be calm, cool, and collected, as John Gray said, to be a kung fu master in the face of stress— and sometimes that stress might be uh, in his generalization, again, that females react differently to uh, moderate everyday stresses. They react with a more emotional response than uh, the typical male. And so when this is happening, and you can remain calm, cool, and collective rather than get drawn into an emotional argument, these things tend to end up much better than when you just expressed yourself and blurted out every little thing like, uh, you know, back at the, uh, the, the emotional, emotionally reactive person that you're dealing with. And, and man, it, the, the world would be a better place. That was his concluding comment on my, uh, on my podcast was like, if we can't do it right now, what hope do we have for the future of humanity? And what are we going to show our children? We know we're going to show our children the exact same thing that we're doing. So big assignment for the male there. Yeah. So that's a lot about what the retreat was about is learning how not to pass on the negative responses to your kids and how to t- teach them, uh, have better ways to, to handle that. And I want to touch on something that you said there where you said, you know, when, when something is said and you get that little tingly sensation that you should say something, that is another thing that we focus on on the retreat is just noticing when you get a physical sensation that something bothers you because in our modern society, you know, we're taught that you need to suppress all that stuff, right? And now's not the time to say it and don't interrupt and keep your mouth shut and be polite. And, um, you know, kids should be seen, but not heard. And all this nonsense that gets thrown around, um, in parenting, uh, went, but parents are just trying to do the best they can. And I, Lord knows I've made lots of mistakes as a parent, but honoring, that sensation, that sensation's trying to tell you something, right? And you may not be able to articulate it unless you talk about it. Right. Uh, and even, um, you know, life is stressful. Things get moving really quickly. We get distracted with our digital technology and nonstop uh, assault of information and uh, attention-grabbing things. And sometimes they... Um, you know, the loving relationships can get compromised accordingly. But I think when we have the strength and the ability to go back and 
uh, debrief and recap and try to keep things uh, functioning at the highest possible level. Then you build this equity such that if there is a spicy interaction uh, while you're uh, driving on the road and uh, becoming offended that uh, someone's trying to backseat drive you and uh, then you're, you're snapping back at them or whatever these minor arguments that you hear, you overhear a couple in the grocery store snapping at each other and um, it just brings a lot of sadness into the picture. But if you can kind of uh, roll with those and be authentic and vulnerable at whatever point and say, hey, I noticed you know that look on your face and I, I realized that I might have made you feel... Uh, bad when I uh, finished the story for you when when you were halfway through you know uh, those kind of things I think when when a person feels appreciated and part of a team then you can rise to uh, the highest level amidst uh, interactions that aren't perfect or situations that are perhaps highly stressful. Yeah, uh, you know, I, for me, I'm just trying to notice those sensations in myself. So. Noticing him in someone else is like a level two, I guess. <laughs> Noticing them in someone else, and then having the strength to, um, you know, not 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 comment, right? Not be um, trying to fix everyone else uh, yep. because you're so evolved now that you return from this five day retreat. Oh man, you get your you get yourself slapped in the face if you come back down the mountain, uh, you know, identifying <laughs> all the imperfections in everyone's communication. But on a serious note. Uh, when you can sit back and see, for example, someone who might be struggling with a, a lower level of vibration than you deem to be exceptional, such as, for example, a boss or someone that you're forced to engage with and they're being petty and childish and they're being this and they're being that. But, um, you know, one of my hobbies is to try to do the best in those circumstances and perhaps feed that individual what they might need at that time. And uh, my my friend uh, uh, Stevie and I for for our whole lives we've whenever we've encountered an arrogant athlete you know we're both athletes you mix with the athletes you mix with the runners at the race and they talk you know offline or you're you're at a social event and someone starts bragging about their uh, athletic exploits instead of trying to take them down um, we would you know deliberately uh, feed lines to them and say like wow it sounds like if you had kept progressing at that rate, you could have gone to the Olympics. W- would that be fair to say? And the person would be like, well, I don't know about the Olympics, but I certainly was a Division I prospect before I got injured. And, you know, it's, uh, I don't know if that's um, uh, tweaking a little or might be frowned upon if, if I'm, you know, setting them up. But, you know, from the bottom of my heart, you realize that everyone wants to be um, accepted and appreciated for who they are. That's Deepak Chopra, one of his four daily intentions. And so if you can accept and appreciate people for who they are, and if they're coming off a little cocky and arrogant or whatever, maybe that really means that they're insecure and they just need some validation or what have you. And so rather than constantly fighting the battle, you're looking to see how you can make the world a better place and have that person feel appreciated. Yeah. And, and for, for me, you know, uh, a, a lot of what this boils down to is what I said earlier about like identifying what's other people's stuff and what I don't have to take on, you know? So if I'm in a, in a um, par- dinner party or whatever, and I'm talking to some guy who's arrogant and talking about how he's, you know, uh, in, in anything, uh, athletics or business, whatever, I've got this, uh, 
multi-million dollar house in Puerto Vallarta that I'm buying or, you know, whatever it is like, okay, you know, you got to, uh, that's your stuff. Talk about it. It's, it's none of my business, like whatever you want, you know? Right. And if it is, if it becomes your business, then we just identified uh, one of your triggers into uh, flawed subconscious programming. So it becomes a growth experience. And the most difficult people that we have to deal with in daily life, I feel like those represent the greatest opportunities for growth or the most difficult situations. Um, you know, going through divorce is no fun, but if you can do it with uh, love and kindness and uh, an eye on the big picture and the well-being of all those involved, then you get a, a thumbs up. And it's, you know, it doesn't have to be a, a failure and a black mark on one's record. It can just be part of life that you handled with grace and um, sensitivity. Yeah, and this kind of uh, brings us full circle back to the cold water. Ah, the cold water. I was because, trying to figure out a way to get back to the cold water somehow. Well, it's it's the obstacle is the way, right? So if if it's daunting for you to get in the cold water, maybe that's something you need to work on. In the same time, if there's a person or a type of person that constantly triggers something in you, that's what you need to work on. And bring it on. Bring on more and more. Love yeah. it. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's Ryan Holiday, The Obstacle is the Way, title of his book. Another Austinite. I know. Is, is Austin uh, now uh, been designated the center of the universe, or at least the, um, the health-conscious universe? Uh, I, according to our highways, yes. <laughs> right. And, and it's funny for you, because you're um, a true Austinite who grew up there, and it's got to be a weird feeling to see. I mean, when I land there and, and, and come in and visit every year, I see a new high-rise and these cranes sticking up with however however tall those things are, 50 floors, 70 floors, I don't know. But it must be kind of weird that your childhood home was within uh, visual distance of these things, and now it's turned into um, the, the, the hip, uh, evolved center of the planet. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, it's it's cool. Uh, you know, the the only downsides the traffic but other than that you know it's it's definitely cool to have all the health and fitness stuff going on here and tim ferris and uh aubrey marcus and ryan holiday and uh, all these people that are um, so active in promoting a healthy lifestyle and stuff that's cool dude spellings and dude spellings and yeah. then we we've, we've got uh we're like a, a high-tech hub now too with like Google and Facebook and Apple and uh, Expedia, uh, all these companies that are uh, building, they're building their own high rises. Uh, yeah, it's, it's fun. <sighs> Wild. Uh, you know, one thing uh, before I let you go that's been on my mind, I think one of the most profound comments I've heard in a long time about endurance training. And I just want to float it out there again. We'll talk about it for a little and then okay. uh, close the show. Uh, but it was when you speculated that the perhaps the best way to recover from a long stressful training session is to fast because we know that fasting is the uh has the best anti-inflammatory response far better than eating any uh, anti-inflammatory food and we also know it has that 
uh, reduction in inflammation, oxidative stress. So what you've done to your body when you've, when you've beat it up with a challenging workout in the name of uh, improving your fitness and all those things, and then to come home and the greatest reward that athletes have had for decades since, you know, since the days of the, the ancient Olympics when they went and feasted on grapes and olive, uh, olive oil after their, after their Olympics. And now Dude Spellings is saying, what about fasting? Of course, for a fat-adapted athlete only, but I yes. want to just uh, hit that point a little harder so people can really mess with their heads right now. All right. So I think our last podcast was at Paleo FX, right? Okay. So I hadn't done the Grand Canyon yet. And um, so I put, I put this into practice. I did the Grand Canyon, uh, rim to rim to rim, 49 miles. And, uh, is that you on your 49th birthday or something? Does it just happen to be 49 miles? It just happened to be 49 miles. Yeah. And, and aren't you 49 when you did it? Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, it, well, it was, wow. I was actually, it was a month before my 49th birthday. I, I did it on May 3rd and my birthday's June 1st. So it's a little bit before. He's, he's welcoming in his 49th year or his that's 50th right. year with hitting the 49. Love right. it, man. What a tough crossing. I mean, that's some, it's 49 miles is a long way to go, but you're talking about massive elevation gain and loss. Yeah, I think my watch said like 25,000 uh, feet. But so I tried to do the whole thing um, with no fuel at all. And uh, I made it to mile 38. Um, I made it all the way up the North Rim. And it was it was amazing because I about two thirds of the way up the North rim, I, I was wearing my heart rate monitor and my watch and I could feel my heart just like just pounding. And I knew it was way over math. Right. And I'm like, Oh man, I don't even want to look at my watch. It's probably like 180. And, and I was kind of, I had low energy and I couldn't really perform the way I wanted to. And I knew that, uh, I had just overdone it a little bit. And so I finally look at my watch and to my surprise, it was 149. And I immediately figured out what was going on because I had done metabolic testing at the University of Texas Physiology Lab and they actually identified my fat max at 149. So I'd, you know, gone across the Grand Canyon, down the South Rim, across the bottom and two thirds the way up the, the North Rim and I was out of glycogen. And so my, the maximum output I could do was with fat. So I was stuck at 149 because I only had fat to burn. Um, and I was about, I don't know, a couple miles from the top of the North Rim. And my friends had pulled away from me because I, was, I wasn't able to keep up with them, which is why I burned all my glycogen trying to keep up with them. And uh, I realized, like, once I turn around, I'm going to be fine because I'm going to be going downhill. And, uh, so I was about a mile from the top and my friends had already been to the top and turned around and come back and they passed me about a mile to go. And I said, yeah, um, uh, I'm fine. You know, they were like, Oh, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I'll catch up with you guys on the way back. And they look at me like, like, how are you going to catch up to us? And so I got to the top and I slammed about triple serving of electrolytes and some beef liver capsules and uh which is still like no appreciable calories right it's probably the whole thing it was like 35 calories or something and uh buried my legs in the snow that was up there for about five minutes 
and decided I was going to catch up to him. So I ran down the, the North Rim um, and eventually caught up to them at, at uh, about mile 38. And so I hadn't told anybody on the that was going on the trip with me that uh, I was going to do it, try to do it with no fuel. And so when I caught up to him, I finally told him, I was like, yeah, yeah, I figured out what was going on. And, you know, it's just because I didn't have any fuel. And they're like, what? what yeah. They're like, what are you talking about? Like, you haven't eaten anything. I'm like, no, I haven't eaten anything. And they're like, well, how are you going to get up the South Rim? And I said, oh, well, I brought some gels just for that circumstance. So I've got some gels to make it up the South Rim. Uh Oh, rocket fuel coming. Watch yeah. out. Well, it wasn't that dramatic, but I did make it up the South Rim. And when we got to the top, my cousin, who is amazing, who organized this trip, she had like this four foot tall stack of pizza boxes waiting for for everybody. And there's only like 15 people on the trip, but she had all these pizza boxes waiting. And everybody was just scarfing down this pizza, just like you were talking about, you know, like this is the reward, right? Um you know, just done 49 miles and like between 15 and 19 hours or however long it took people to do it. And, and, uh, I just decided, you know what, I'm going to try my fasting, uh, to the, put it to the test. Oh. And, uh, and I, instead of eating the pizza, I just hung around and watched people eat it and I wasn't hungry. And, uh, after that I, I went to bed and, uh, you know, still nothing to eat. And woke up, you know, slept for solid, like, I don't know, maybe 10 hours or something. And uh, woke up the next morning and I've, you know, I've done this, is my second rim to rim to rim. And the, the first one was 13 years ago. But as I recall, that first time I did it, I could like barely move the next day. And uh, I was, I was sore, but I was moving pretty good after having done that and i definitely think the fasting helped with the recovery that is hardcore man you put it to the test and now now tell me about your first meal or the ensuing meals did you eventually go crazy at the at the pie shop or how did you immerse back into real life so we we all decided that we we're going to meet at the hotel restaurant in the morning for breakfast and so, uh, I just went down there and, and, uh, I think I ordered, I think I ordered a platter that had like a omelet and bacon and fruit. And I think I ordered an extra side of bacon. Just routine breakfast after doing 50 miles and hours of fasting. Incredible. Well, I did order an extra side of bacon. <laughs> Wow. All right, man. That's amazing that you now put it to the test. So it was first speculation. And now think about that, peeps. That takes a lot of willpower discipline, but you're probably uh, pumping those ketones out like crazy. I wonder if you did any blood testing during the time. Yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't take any of my ketone monitors or anything that I, I should have. That would have been a good test to do. Dude Spellings, bringing it as always. Thank you for joining us on the show, man. Fascinating insights. Well, thanks for having me. And once again, I appreciate it. Um, it's always a lot of fun when I come on. Thanks for listening, everybody. Da, 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 da. 
So Chris Kelly, Nourish, Balance, Thrive, we're, we're talking about health and you're telling me a funny story about your picky four-year-old daughter that won't eat unless there's Primal Kitchen uh, condiments on the table. It's true. My daughter will not eat unless there's f***ing the Primal Kitchen Wilder. <laughs> it's, it's this cute thing, actually, she does. We have a local state park called Wilder Ranch. Oh, yeah. And uh, she calls the ranch dressing Wilder Ranch dressing. Which <laughs> we, 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 there's no way we're going to correct her on that. It's just too it's so, so endearing. Uh, how old um, is she? She's four. Oh my gosh. So she likes like the mayo on a Oh yeah, she so she loves those sort of, we love them as well. We have uh we, we eat them all the time. We eat the mayo, we eat the balsamic, we eat the the ranch, um the avocado oil we use all the time. And, and so, you know, that's completely genuine and I don't mind talking about that because you took the pain in the arse out of condiments. I really appreciate that. What an authentic spot from Chris Kelly at Nourish, Balance, Thrive. And yes, Primal Kitchen, you can call it Wilder Ranch Dressing if you want. And uh, we'll send five cents of the proceeds over to that beautiful state park because they're, they're trying to make ends meet in Santa Cruz Mountains. Thank you very much, Chris. <laughs> it's my pleasure.